welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. And welcome to um, you know our new service time, 9 a.m. at uh, Corpus Christi Anglican Church. It's so good to have you worshiping here. But I have a question for you as we get started this morning. The question is, how are you? Right? I'm not going to ask you to like come up here and say how you're doing, what's going on. Um, you know, but how would you answer that question this morning? How are you? It's something we ask a lot. And it's a, it's a good question. For some of you, it's been a fine week. Uh, you know, and you would say, oh, I'm really, truly doing fine. Um, and some of you might even be coming in this morning exuberant and excited. It was a great week. And, and then some of you, on the other hand, may have hit the end of a very challenging week. Um, and, and this week coming up doesn't offer you any hope of reprieve. And so when I ask the question, how are you doing? <laughs> Excellent. I'm so glad to hear that. You know, what, what is the thing that happens inside you? And, and that's what we want to pay attention to when, when somebody asks us that question. I was reading a lot this week and listening to some podcasts about how mental and emotional health have really taken a hard hit since the beginning of the pandemic, um, just across all the spectrums. And Last year, everything was new. So there was kind of this hope that it would all be done. You remember when we thought, oh, maybe by Easter, right? And uh, then it just obviously kept going. And, um, and we didn't know how things were going to go in 2020. So the hopes were, oh, 2021 will be better. And in some ways it was. And then, you know, by April or May, I remember, you know, we even got to a point where we got to worship together without masks on. Uh, that was really exciting, and it didn't last long, but it was exciting for a few weeks. <laughs> yeah, and, and the the quickly the nature of things just keeps quickly changing, and, and you have the Delta variant now surging and then dropping, and we and so the numbers keep going up and down, and that's really hard to deal with um, when you're trying to make policy decisions and figure out how to govern your own life. So it's no wonder that mental and emotional breakdown is happening across. The culture. So there are a number of articles that you can read on this concept called languishing, uh, which has a lot of overlap with depression. I thought it was a really interesting concept, and, and it reminds me a lot of what the when the when you read monastic writings in the third or fourth century, they, they talk about like restless discontentment or listlessness. It reminds me a lot of of something they described a long time ago, um, and so since the fall, it seems like. We've just been filled with upheaval and unsustainable schedules, really. I mean, now you're expected to do the same amount of work while watching, if you have children, watching your children uh, when they're sick. Whereas last year, there seemed like there was a lot more grace extended. And so this is just a difficult season. You know, when daycares and, and schools are shut down due to a virus exposure, there's still this expectation that you are to maintain the same level of productivity, but do it in isolation, <laughs> you know? And, um, and so it's hard to change your life rhythms and alternate between working at home, working at an office, 
Um, whether you have kids or not, like all this change is just really difficult. And being in isolation from others. And then overall, there is this in, in the culture, there is a low grade anxiety about what's coming up after this. What's around the corner? And so, you know, coming back to that question, how's it going? Uh, it's a simple question. It's innocent. It's a fine question. But I want us to pay attention to what happens in ourselves when somebody asks us the question, okay, so how's it really going? And, and the writer of Hebrews has a lot to say to Christians who feel like things just, they're not going that well right now. He gives this glimpse of God's judgment and his mercy throughout the book. And he encourages us that the things that we do today are going to have an impact on, on catching glimpses of God's eternal rest for us in the future. There's a lot about the concept of rest in the book of Hebrews. Um, the sweet communion that we share with our God is the ultimate work of Sabbath. And so we're preparing for that even now. That gives context to our labors. Last week, we spent a lot of time talking about the importance of clinging tightly to Jesus. That was back in Hebrews chapter 3. And growing deeper in our relationship with him. And in, in this section this morning, there's a pivot. The pivot is chapter 4, uh, verses 11 through 13. It ends the argument that the author is making about God's rest, God's Sabbath. And then we're going to enter into a new argument in verses 14 and 15, where he's going to elaborate on Jesus as our high priest. And so the writer here in our passage this morning is drawing on these themes and passages and ideas that would have been familiar to his readers. Um, but I'm not so sure they're familiar to all of us, myself included. And so this morning we're going to look a little bit at how he pictures and talks about God's rest and then how you and I enter into it and what difference that makes for our day-to-day -day lives. So if you felt at any point this week like life feels unsustainable, like it feels like too much, then you're feeling some of the same things that the audience was feeling that this letter is addressing. So let's talk about the argument a little bit that he's making. So come back with me, back to your Old Testament, um, the story of the Exodus, where God rescues a people out of slavery from Egypt, and then he brings them into the land of rest. Or does he? That's the question. While there was a great joy in being free from the Egyptians, the joy started to slowly wane because they were... They, they couldn't see the place to which they were being freed. It was just this nebulous promise out there. And then they kept running out of resources. And so they had to depend on God's miraculous deliverance every time they needed help. So rather than joy, rather than hope, rather than obedience, the people would often respond with impatience and rebellion. And so you get to Exodus 17 and the people cry out against Moses because they've got no water. And they're thirsty and they're in the wilderness. And they're ready to stone Moses at this point. So with the fear of death before him, uh, God tells Moses to take the staff, the, the same staff that he had used to hit the Nile so that the, so that the Nile would split apart. And to take that same staff and to strike uh, the rock at Horeb. And when he did that, water came out of the rock. So Moses strikes the rock, water comes out, and that place is then called Massah, and it's also called Meribah, which means testing 
and quarreling, respectively. And Massah and Meribah, that's the event that happens that inspires a psalm. It's Psalm 95. That psalm is this archetypical, or that event is this archetypical example of the rebellion of God's people throughout uh, the scripture and, and then into the New Testament. We don't know if David wrote Psalm 95, but whether it was him or somebody later, it's this really well-known psalm to Anglicans because it's actually part of the morning prayer. We call it the Venite. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. And the psalm is an invitation to praise God, to praise him for who he is, to give him thanks for the wonderful things that he's done for us. And then in Psalm 95, what it says is today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah and as on the day at Massah in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test. And then at the end of the psalm, God says, therefore, I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter into my rest. And so it's this connection with trusting God and his promises and then seeking his rest that the writer of Hebrews is now connecting for the followers of Jesus. And he focuses on the little word today, today. If the psalmist is writing after the conquests of Joshua, which presumably he is, then there has to still be a rest that is going to be entered into in that psalmist uh, time period. It's something that the psalmist is looking forward to. The today is meant to be read and then reread successively by each generation as their own today. So thinking about rest, the writer of Hebrews recalls that on the seventh day of creation, God rested from all of his labors. And so he ties together God's Sabbath and the rest that God's people are going to enter into. He brings those concepts together. So in other words, if they had labored in faith, the Israelites, they would have entered into God's Sabbath rest. But we can't say that all of Joshua's exploits in conquering all those portions of the Canaanite lands brought God's rest for his people. If that had been the case, then the today of Psalm 95 would not have made sense because there was no more rest to enter into. They'd already arrived. But instead, the writer of Hebrews says that a Sabbath rest The one that God entered into is still the one that remains for God's people. And so his exhortation in verse 11 is that you and I would enter into that rest. In that Sabbath, it's not that all work ceases. We're not just sitting there doing nothing. But the type and the quality of the work changes. And it's a continuation in some ways of what we're doing right now. He doesn't actually elaborate on what we'll be doing in that Sabbath. That's not his point. It's only to say that the hope of it still remains for God's people who are following Jesus. And the reminder is to strive to enter into the rest. So today's work is an investment in tomorrow's rest. And today's work involves growing in our own transparency with our loving creator daily and placing ourselves on the altar of his mercy. It's difficult and it's painful work uh, to do that, to grow deeper and into sweeter communion with our creator. It's the work that continues into the Sabbath rest that we begin now. And the way that he concludes the idea of rest is with this passage about the word of God being sharper than any two-edged sword. Many of you probably have that, those verses memorized. A sharp knife can do a lot of damage, right? And if it's really sharp... You may not even feel the damage 
until you look down at whatever you've cut. I did that yesterday while I was building shelves. And so that, you know, you look down and you're like, oh, I'm bleeding. You didn't feel it uh, because the knife is sharp. And, and the word that is being uh, referred to in this passage is Psalm 95 specifically. And then by extension, it's this message that Jesus proclaimed that God's kingdom was being birthed through his work. And that message about Jesus and his kingdom, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces through us, even when we don't feel it. And what the writer warns us about is that nothing at all is hidden from God's sight. Uh, it's, it's like a warning, really. And if that doesn't sound super sweet and comforting, <laughs> then you're probably reading it correctly. Um, which, you know, I'm going to have words with my youth group sponsor who taught me that as a comforting verse. But the things that God promises, whether for blessing or for judgment, they're going to come to pass. And his word doesn't return void. But, you know, I think that's why this next section about Jesus being our great high priest and merciful high priest is that much sweeter. We shouldn't live, you know, however we want and test God's judgment. Instead, we should know how terrible God's judgment is and entrust ourselves to his mercy. Right. We shouldn't live however we want and throw ourselves at God's judgment. We should trust that his judgment is terrible and entrust ourselves to his mercy because he is merciful. So God's work has this way of exposing the things that are hidden deep down inside of us. And so, you know, like the prophet Habakkuk, we pray, Lord, in your wrath, remember mercy. God's word is less like a sword that's meant to hew us down. But instead, it's more like a surgical knife that's going to go far below the surface to lay bare any internal disturbance that we have. And so here's a good reminder that I think uh, about this passage from N.T. Wright. What he says is, but the thrust of the passage, though obviously intended as a warning, can also lead to great encouragement. If you have a choice between letting the doctor examine you right away, uncomfortable though it may be, and waiting until he or she can do a post-mortem on you after it's too late, it's wise to go for the first. Right? If you open up yourself daily, uh, day by day and week by week, to the message of scripture, its grand sweep and its small details, and allow the faithful preaching of Jesus and his achievement to enter your consciousness and soak down into your imagination and heart, then the admittedly uncomfortable work of God's word will be happening on a regular basis, showing you, as we say, where you really are, what's going on deep inside. And so I know how hard it is to make that kind of time that we need for that kind of reflection, but we have to make space to let God's word examine us. It doesn't just happen in our own private times with the Lord, but it also happens with being part of a local church. In the liturgy, we hear God's word read. We hear it preached. We see it refigured in the ceremony of the liturgy, and we experience it in the Eucharist. And in fact, during the Eucharist, one of the prayers that we pray is, and here we offer and present to you, O Lord, ourselves, souls, and bodies to be a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice. And in that, a lot of what I'm saying here is consistent with St. Paul's words in Romans 12 about being a, a living sacrifice. So our life should be this daily refrain of bearing ourselves to God in the hope of his mercy and of his grace. 
So remember that in the next few verses, he is going to share with us how Jesus is a merciful and faithful high priest. That Jesus can sympathize with all of our weaknesses in every way, except without sin. And that, that Jesus can sympathize, is why we can draw near with confidence before the throne of heavenly grace. God's judgment is fearful, and we don't like to talk about it. um, But God's judgment is never without hope. It's never without the hope of his mercy and grace. So we just need to come to grips with the facts that with the fact that we can't do this on our own and that we need the word of Jesus to heal us. So let's come back to that original question again. How are you doing? And if you felt your body tense up, that's a good start. That's honesty. And, and now let's lay that question before God. God, how am I doing? You know, where are those places where I see your goodness and mercy? And where are those places where I feel scared and lonely, angry, frustrated, like I'm going to lose it? Where are those places? Let God's word have its effect on those places in our hearts. Watch for the work of the Holy Spirit to bring up those places of what we would call spiritual disturbance and pray for God's help. Find others in the church who can regularly pray for you about those things. I find that I often hear God's word through the counsel of other Christians when I talk to them. And through Christians' words when they pray for me. So there is a rest that awaits you and I today. Because we are God's children. So today, let's not harden our hearts. um, But let's be in this habit of throwing ourselves at God's mercy. Entrusting ourselves and all of our lives to him so that we can enter into that rest. How we work today is an investment in tomorrow's rest. Let's pray. Oh God, the source of all health. So fill our hearts with faith in your love that with calm expectancy, we may make room for your power to possess us and gracefully accept your healing. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.